Welcome to a new episode of Cali Claptrap. Today we have on Eric Eager of PFF. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, fun Saturday. Yeah, definitely. Well, what I love about PFF so much, I'm a big football fan, and I was watching Moneyball the other day, and it was talking about how Moneyball sort of reinvented the game. And I was wondering, um, from your perspective, what does what has PFF done to sort of change the game, in your opinion? Yeah, I think I think what it's done, you know, the the main thing is to be able to talk about who who's a good offensive lineman, who's a good defensive lineman. I think initially that was like the first value piece was, you know, there was a way to evaluate players because we graded them on every play um, in the trenches. And then I think now that we have this huge corpus of data, it's it, we're able to sort of talk about kind of what positions are the most valuable. So, you know, even though we can tell you, you know, how efficient an edge player is at getting pressure, we've actually been able to sort of turn about that and say, well, you know, actually what you really want is you want coverage because the coverage sets the table for pressure to get home and all that stuff. So I think initially it was being able to evaluate positions we've never been able to evaluate before. And now it's to sort of put that into context insofar as what wins football games. Yeah. And how, how much time do you spend like watching football during the week? Well, when I was when I was collecting data, it was probably six or seven games intently a week um, okay. since, uh, you know, I've, I've taken over as director of R&D. I I mostly watch games now to develop, you know, notes for you know some of our, co- our content. So I generally speaking won't miss a game um, that's, you know, on prime time. Uh, and then during Sundays, I'll generally speaking, watch, you know, uh, the Red Zone channel. And then, you know, I have two podcasts a week, actually four podcasts a week, but two that are bigger. Uh, and I do a number of radio hits and, and TV things and stuff like that. So my job is a little different now. It's more more to have like a macro view of the league than it is to have a specific view. But our, I mean, our data collectors are probably watching 10 to 15 games a week uh, in their data collection process. So that's really the um, you know, that's really the rub there. Yeah. So I know I was reading the, uh, the book, The Blind Side years ago, and it was talking about the effect of Lawrence Taylor when he came in the league. And obviously you're, you're proposing sort of that coverage is, is a little bit more effective than pass rush. And so I know you work with all NFL teams. Do you ever get any pushback with that data or you just leave, let the data speak for itself? Yeah, I mean, we get we get interesting, um, you know, uh, pushback depending upon, you know, the team, Um, you know, some teams uh, will push back on the idea that running backs are replaceable. Some will push back on the, you know, the the market, you know, nature for like edge versus like cornerback. Um, But, you know, for the most part, I think we've gotten a, a fair amount of progress, even, you know, even when they, you know, don't necessarily follow the advice. There, there's a seat at the table for the opposite opinion, which which wasn't always the case. So I think there's been significant progress there. You know, we get pushed back, of course, uh, and there there are certain things that we can't measure. Um, you know, being where we're, we are on the outside, so you know that that's really you know that that's kind of the thing is like when you in any data science sort of endeavor, what you really want is you know the ability to. Um, you know, to pick at what you can pick at and then show the sort of uncertainty that's inherent in your limitations. And, and our limitations are that we, you know, don't, fo- you know, we, we're not within the building. You know, I know things that go on within the building, but, you know, we're sort of, 
you know, as far as like knowing the medicals or the, or the personality tests for a player, like we're just limited there. And, and that's why it's good to have uncertainty with your estimates. Okay. So like medical and personality, um, also like cultural issues, like, or like how much does that take into effect in your opinion, as far as like when you're looking at just data? Well, I, I do know that the teams, you know, certainly value, you know, I, and I don't know if it's every team, but I do know that the teams like have, you know, maintain data on like, you know, the, um, you know, the socioeconomic status of a player, because I do know that that can carry some signal. I don't know if it's, you know, my, my initial guess is that it's probably overblown, but there probably is something, you know, to it is why they collect it. But yeah, I mean, those things we just aren't privy to. And then, so we, you know, we don't use them in our modeling. Yeah. So one of my questions going into this was hypothetically, if you were to interview for a GM position and had the opportunity maybe to build up a team from the start, where do you, where, where do you put the most value when you, when you draft players or even like when you're thinking of positions and where, yeah. where, what's more weighted than others? Well, I think for me, it's quarterback, obviously, you know, if you have a quarterback, um, I would still probably draft uh, a number of players at the position just to back them up. Um, but, you know, if you have a quarterback, then I'm think then um, weapons, I think, are the most important thing. You look at San Francisco, for example, um, you know, you guys are, you know, fairly when you look at quarterback, I think that they're OK at the quarterback position. But then when you lose the weapons early in the season, the offense is really, you know, having a hard time sort of getting going. Um, and that's you know, that's not something that's not a position you really want to be put in. Um, so th that would be my first thing would be weapons for the offense. Um, you know, then after that, I, you know, I'm thinking of things like, um, you know, a lot of defensive backs, a lot of offensive linemen, there are some, you know, sort of weak link systems like the secondary and the O-line that require a number of average players, probably more so than, than an elite player. Uh, and then I start to fill in at the other spots. Um, so that, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, San Francisco quarterbacking, um, do you think, I mean, when I watch Garoppolo play, it's, and this is just me eyeballing it. it I'm not sure if the injury is still in effect, but it, it's, it looks like he's not push, stepping into his throws, et, et cetera. Do you see the same thing when you watch Garoppolo play, or do you think it's just a matter of time of the ankle sprain and getting back to solid footing? Yeah, I think he lacks confidence a little bit. That would be my, would be my, my take. Um, yeah. And so then we get that back, and then the offense is – you know, the offense can hum with him at the QB position. It just, you know, has to – the table has to be set for him. And I think when they were making their Super Bowl run, they had just about every player that they needed on that offense to be successful. And early on when, when, when Samuel's out or, um, you know, Ayuk hasn't played yet and, you know, Sanders leaves for New Orleans, it's just a little bit, uh, you know, barren for him. And that, you know, that, that leads to, I think, a little less efficiency. Yeah. Okay, that's a good good observation there. Um, so one of some of my other thinking too is um, watching the NFL play this year with COVID and stuff. Have you have you guys noticed any differences as far as the level of play, or um, in your opinion, is everything sort of going pretty smoothly? I think level plays fine. We're seeing fewer penalties, which means that we're seeing more players commit penalties and not get caught, which means higher scoring, and so. You know, last week, uh, totals were pretty on. There were, you know, 500 if you looked at the over and the under. But early on, there were a lot of overs, um, which, you know, you know, if you're trying to model league, it's probably a little bit frustrating. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there are any more drops or missed tackles. It's just that, you know, the, the league, I think it wants to make it more conducive to offense and, um, in so doing what they've made it as, you know, fewer holdings and stuff like that. Yeah. And what I also appreciate, it seemed like the ref are huddling more and sort of consulting one another. Whereas if one threw a flag, like you usually never saw it picked up in the past. I'm not sure right. if there's any data on that, but that definitely helps the flow. And it's a, a little bit more enjoyable to watch as a fan from a fan's perspective. Um, one of the questions I did want to ask you was about, um, I believe you're a Vikings fan, right? I grew up a Vikings fan. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I know uh, watching the Seattle game, there's a couple of analytical moves that were kind of put on sort of in the spotlight about should have Zimmer gone forward and even previous to that to the, you know, the extra point to the two point conversion. Do you have any sort of thoughts on that just in, upon reflection? Yeah, I mean, with all these, you know, you have to think about the risk. And so, you know, for example, um, you know, the, the whenever, whenever you're presented an eight, you know, and not only the risks, but also the payoffs. So, you know, when when the Vikings were up by four and they had a chance to go for two and they kicked the extra point, what they really didn't see was that there's a, um, you know, there's an asymmetrical risk structure there. Being up by four, um, you know, is not all that much worse than being up by five, but being up by six is a lot better than being up by five. And in a situation that is a relatively you know, 50, 50 coin flip, which is, you know, a, a two point conversion. Uh, you know, the thing with the bigger payoff is clearly what you want. Um, you know, it, when it came to the fourth down decision at the end of the game, um, you know, we had it somewhere like 94%. And if, of course, if they convert, it's a hundred percent. So that's a pretty big benefit. If they didn't convert, I think it was in the mid eighties. So in that case, the drawback of not converting was a lot higher than the payoff of going for it. But, you know, you're generally speaking 70% or so on fourth down and, and that distance. So that's where the sort of probability comes into place. Um, so I, I think it was the right call. I think it was supported. It just it wasn't a good result. And it stemmed from the poor decision that was made on the two-point conversion prior. I mean, if they're up six, then going for the P, uh, field goal there ends the football game because you're up by a full nine points, which is more than one score, even in the best circumstance for your opponent. So all these things are interconnected. And, you know, it was interesting because I was, you know, and I'm in a group chat with a bunch of Vikings fans and, you know, a few of them said, well, no, the, the, the right move is to stop the other team. It's like, well, but that's the whole point of analytics is to know that you can't bank on execution. Uh, you know, when, when two really good teams play each other, um, you know, execution is not guaranteed. Uh, and so um, what you need to do is you need to put yourself in a position where, you know, execution is sort of noise and you add to that some determinism, which is making the right decisions. Yeah. How many teams have analytic, uh, analytical people in the coach's ear during the game? Do you know, like sort of saying this uh, is what you're not to do? In the ear, I would say like less than half. I would say on the on the staff, it's it's a significant amount, probably thirty, um, okay. thirty two. So it it just amounts. It's just more more of the like what they value type of thing than it is, um, you know, whether they have somebody. Because I think now you're sort of a uh, you're a pariah if you don't hire somebody, you know, as an analytics person. If you know yeah. what I mean. So. So that's really like the motivation in many cases is more to save face. Now there are teams that have, that do a significantly, you know, and I know Zimmer did. I mean, I, I Zimmer read off the probabilities, 
uh, I believe, um, in that case. So he certainly is respecting the process there. It's just that, you know, it, you know, some teams just simply don't even get to that point. Right. Well, it seems like definitely over the, you know, the Ravens stick out to me last year and I don't know what, you know, going forward on fourth and one, but it's, it's definitely, I saw a noticeable change last year. Whereas before, you know, you guys were kind of on a peripheral, oh, they say to go for it here and kind of old school. You always hear Matt, at least for me, I hear Madden in, in my ear saying, oh, just go get the points or kick the, mm-hmm. you know, kick the punt and stuff. And now you're kind of seeing the real changes to like, it, it's gotten a hold of all the teams where you're, you're starting to see a little bit change of play. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and what it's making it, it's, it's really fun because when you, when you think about, there are probability problems that are solved. You know, you talk about roulette, you know, unless, unless the, the board is, is uh, altered, like that's a solved problem. There's really, you know, there's not really a way to beat it. Blackjack is similar, although, you know, again, subject to rule changes. What's really fun about the NFL is that, you know, when you think about try, trying to beat it, um, it's not a stationary game. You know, you think about sports betting, like usually 9% uh, of games land on three or eight or 9% um, and a certain percentage more like four or 5% land on seven. Well, that's not the case anymore when, Mm -hmm. you know, the PAT is, you know, from the 15 and not from the two. So like when you're thinking about modeling these things, it's not, it's not trivial at all. And, you know, and that's what makes it fun. And that's what makes it, you know, when you think about, you know, finishing a problem you know if you move on to the next one because and, and you ha- sometimes have to go back to solve problems because they're they're almost never solved given uh you know the nature of the sport how does it, i know you're into the the betting thing and i listened to your uh interview with ross tucker and steve fezzik so when you see games that you know three three and a half seven seven and a half does that alter your sort of you know thinking when it comes to putting money on a spread it does. I mean, we talked about on on Ross's other podcast, we talked about Cleveland against Dallas a couple of weeks ago. They were three and a half point underdogs. And I actually said, you know, I like Cleveland on the money line better than I like Cleveland against the spread just because the total on the game is in the 50s. And so tease college football games because the totals are so high and the value of the three and the seven are not there, you know, comparatively speaking. You're getting about eight percentage points for each. Um, and the same thing's true. Like when you think about a game, an NFL game that has a total in the fifties, like I might be more likely to trade the variance, which is the percentage of time the team wins than I am to trade, you know, the points. And, and that's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I think that that's where the evolution is happening a little bit. In addition to those points being a little bit less worth it, a little bit more spread out. Um, you know, they're also just, they're also just, you know, on balance, less worth than some of the, you know, the 14s and the 16s and the 17s. Yeah. Well, something I also want to talk with you about just sort of uh, so far early on in the year, what, what teams are you uh, most surprised by? Um, I'm, I'm surprised that Tennessee's 4-0. I mean, I know yes. that they're 0-3, well, sorry, they're 1-3 now against the spread, um, but I, I'm surprised that they are, uh, you know, that they're undefeated. I know, you know, Tannehill, you know, Derrick Henry's under four yards of carry. I mean, they're not getting the the efficiency running the football that they got last year, but all the same things still happen. Play action still worthwhile. Um, you know, uh, you know, receivers over the middle, AJ Brown hasn't played much more than, you know, two games, but even then they've been efficient throwing the ball in the middle of the field. So there's a lot of things about Tennessee that I'm surprised about, um, you know, in a positive way. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, it, it's been a really fun season from the perspective of, you know, sort of being surprised by, you know, some of the things these teams have been able to do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what's your, I know earlier on I was listening to the Fezzik one with, and you you were picking Houston and over, and obviously they got off to one, one of the hardest starts facing some tough teams. Now that O'Brien's gone, do you see them at all getting back in the mix or they're in a tough I, I have about a 20% chance to make the playoffs. So, it, it, you know, the, yeah. the number like plus 150 that we got early on is, is, isn't as valuable now. Um, but at the same time, like I do think that they have one of the easier schedules they, they had a really hard schedule early on um, and it was, it was something that was, you know, tough for them. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that they can get to seven, eight wins, um, but it won't be as easy. Obviously they could have, they could have probably beat Pittsburgh or Minnesota early on. And that's what I think people are banking on. Yeah. Um, also, I want to recommend uh, your Twitter feed. I'm going to put that on, on the uh, bio here when, when I share the podcast, but some of my favorite takes, um, just wanted to kind of have you comment on a little bit. What's your take on Taysom Hill? Uh, I think right now Taysom Hill is kind of a waste of time. Um, yeah. Now he made a he made a really big play, uh, obviously in the um, in the in the game against the the Chargers to help them win. Um, yeah. But it's one of those where, like, I just don't know. If, you know, Drew Brees isn't playing well, but. I don't know if I take my Hall of Fame quarterback off the field, you know, on the regular. And that's kind of like what I see. And then the other thing is like, you know, he there's some value in versatility, but there but it, I don't think it's as high as what we're handicapping it at. Because, you know, at tight end, he's not as good as their tight end at running back. He's not as good as their running back and a quarterback. He's not as good as their, as their quarterback. And it seems like yeah. the, the, the creativity there yeah, is not making up for that fact. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not a Saints fan, but I, I still don't think I've ever seen him throw the ball. I don't know if there's a percentage on that, but it's, it's yeah, definitely. He, he's thrown it about, about 15 times and he's had some six. He's he's made some throws before, but they're 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 few and far between, unfortunately, for the Saints. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other one I wanted to comment on or ask you to comment on is the the Green Bay draft and sort of just where you think that. I mean, obviously, they're they're doing fantastic right now, but. Any comments on sort of how they handled the draft? Yeah, I mean, it, well, and we said this, you know, the, the Vikings ended up being uh, the betting favorites to win the NFC North. And I think the real reason for that was that their draft is good. But I think people, especially this year, overrated how much the draft was going to affect the season, um, given the pandemic and everything. You know, Green Bay didn't have a great draft at all, and their draft picks are not contributing but they're bringing over a 13 win team from a season ago. So, you know, how much, you know, did they actually need that draft to contribute um, right. is really a question. So that, that was, you know, th that was something I don't think people understood the Vikings had 15 draft picks, but those draft picks had to replace their number one receiver, their top three corners, um, you know, what ended up being their top two edge players, uh, you know, and, and, you know, rebuild an offensive line that isn't very good. Like that's a tall task in an off season with a pandemic. So that, that was always going to be the tough one. Um, so for me, it's, you know, green Bay, I think is going to do well. Now, if they have injuries and things like that, and, and, you know, uh, another team is going to be pulling up draft picks who have played, you know, who are, have some potential and who have sat for a whole year. That's a better proposition, I think, for a team like Minnesota than it is a team like green Bay, but green Bay is a, you know, have this has a three and a half game lead on them. So it's really, you know, not as, as uh, dire, I think, as people wanted to make it out to be. 
Yeah. And the last team I wanted to ask you about is the Panthers. Uh, they, they look pretty impressive and I'm, I'm not sure the coaching change. I'm not sure if that's sort of changed the influence on, on their direction, but do you have any insight or comments on the Panthers success? Yeah, I, I know there's a great deal of people in the Vikings organization that didn't want to see Teddy Bridgewater leave. Um, and I'm really happy to see him succeed. And I think having McCaffrey on the sideline really shows sort of like the drawback of, you know, having, you know, paying a running back that much money because, you know, you, you sort of shoehorn a player touches when he's paid that much. And when it's a running back, the touches, generally speaking, aren't as efficient uh, as, as when they are touches, you know, sort of given to, um, you know, wide receivers like Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. So that, mm -hmm. that's, a, you know, that's, I think, a learning experience for these teams. And now that, you know, they're sort of freed from having to give him the ball so much, their offense has really done a good job. And, 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 and that's something, um, you know, I think is a, a teachable moment for the league. Yeah. And so what's your opinion as, as a GM? Would you ever, I mean, what, what's the contract situation where you would re-sign sort of a stud like Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, McCaffrey, or would you just kind of look to the next guy when it kind of comes to running backs? Yeah, I generally speaking, just look to the next guy. Um, yeah. You know, unfortunately, that that's not a great thing for labor, uh, you know, so you have to sort of balance that. But, um, you know, the next guy is probably, I mean, you look at Minnesota, Cook goes out, a guy they just paid a lot of money to, and Madison, you know, rushes for 100 yards that night. So, um, you know, that's a, a, you know, part of the, the way that things go. Yeah. It almost seems like a Belichick approach. He seems to be the most sort of, you know, you know, hold the line, just pay, pay the guys and know who can fill the next spot. Would you say that's kind of your, yes. your model, but yeah, Belichick. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the players that Belichick has paid up for are coverage players like Gilmore and Revis. Um, other than that, it's been, you know, obviously Brady too, but um, it's, it's been, you know, the, the, you know, the most valuable positions, which, you know, ha are, are, are those positions. So, um, yeah. you know, good on him. Definitely. Um, what is PFS? Um, is there any sort of, I know you've mentioned sort of the, I call it sort of the death of the running back and sort of the secondary greater than the pass rush. Is there anything that you think is on the horizon, uh, that you guys are collecting data on or maybe can predict or theorize might come up as far as making moves, as far as the direction of the uh, NFL football or any kind of football, really? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think just being able to, you know, sort of sharpen the way that we understand the game, whether it be pass rush, whether it be coverage, you know, the, those things I think are, are on the horizon. I mean, we're, we're getting better. I think every, every single day at these things. And I think that we'll just continue to do so. There are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of things where we're not quite sure, you know, how to measure them, but, um, you know, we're getting better at it. And I think that that's, you know, uh, a really exciting, you know, time. Awesome. So at PFF, you do sort of, um, how do you do the, the betting models? Is that sort of a team that usually puts something together or is that? Uh, well, we, we have like, uh, we have methods for like, you know, taking the data we collect and then, you know, we use a little bit of machine learning to, to sort of predict point spreads and then, from there, we'll, we'll basically handicap like how we think a game will go from our predicted point spreads. Um, you know, that that's and that's on our website. That's, you know, we have a player props tool. We have a, a um, uh, DFS sort of optimization thing. We have mm -hmm. you know spreads and totals, money lines, all that stuff is sort of on the on the website. Um, and again, it's it's mostly like machine machine learning that sort of, you know, taking all that data, you know, building a, an ensemble of models and then looking at what the, what the predicted point spread is. 
Yeah. So um, assuming you bet yourself, is there ever situations where your gut just sort of says, you know, the data tells you one thing, your gut goes, oh, I don't know if I could bet on this team this week. Yeah, I think all the time. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of the one. I mean, obviously the Falcons and the Jets are teams that a lot of bettors find value on. Um, but there are sort of these these things about the Jets and the Falcons where they just can't win. And it's like, you know, so I, I often will not put a big position on the Jets or the Falcons um, sometimes because it's just, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, they're uh, yeah. for whatever reason, they're just, they, they show value when they, they really don't have any. Yeah. Looking at the games this week, um, are there any games that sort of stand out to you as sort of your gut and, and data sort of both support sort of lean in one way? Yeah, I mean, I got Washington at plus three and a half um, on the look ahead line, but I think right now, you know, when the number got to two and a half for for the Giants, I bet that. So that's one where I think, you know, currently I think the Giants have some value now that the number is 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 short of three. Um, mm-hmm. I think Cleveland has some value if Baker's healthy. Uh, I, those I think are are the best ones so far. Yeah. And the last one, uh, the Niner-Rams game, Niners getting three and a half. Obviously, they got demolished last week. Rams seem to be on a roll. Um, and I think the number's even gone down to three. I haven't seen seen it the last couple of days. But what, what's your take on that game? Yeah, I, I like the Niners at plus three and a half. Um, if it gets down to three, it's sort of, you know, probably the right number. I, you know, on the look ahead, the Niners were like three-point favorites. So, you know, mm-hmm. a six-point move uh, based upon one week to play is, to me, too much. So, um, yeah. you know, obviously you got to make sure Jimmy G's healthy, but if, if that's, you know, if that's understood, then I think that we're, you know, you're in a good spot if you have the, a, an Iron ticket at three and a half. Awesome. Eric, uh, where can people find you if they wanted to reach you online? At PFF underscore Eric is me on Twitter. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I do most of my posting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I love, uh, thank you so much for being on. I love following your, your tweets. It, uh, I think you enhance the game. You make it exciting. Every time I follow your tweets, I definitely learn something more about football, which I love. So thank you so much for coming on and, uh, and thank you for all PFF does. Thanks. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Eric. Ortiz college football games. Because-